Welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast Series. Today we have our guest, Superintendent Dr. Scott Mann from Riverside Local Schools in DeGraff, Ohio. Dr. Mann became an educator after 14 years working in the factories for Airstream and Honda of America. With his strong understanding of career and tech and educational pathways, he is a wealth of knowledge and a true champion of education. Dr. Mann is a coach at heart with a drive for student success and community engagement. Well, welcome again, everybody. I am David Linevers, the Vice President of Plexus, and welcome to the Plexus Education Leadership Podcast. Uh, today, I'm very excited to have Dr. Scott Mann, Superintendent of Riverside Local Schools in DeGraff, Ohio, uh, an hour west of Columbus, an hour east of Dayton, kind of right there in the sweet spot, not too far from some of the best music parks on the planet. Uh, as a roller coaster fiend myself, roller coaster fiend, I don't know if you are, but I, I love them and I always pay attention to Ohio rides. <laughs> yeah, well, are you a roller coaster fan? I know total uh, side note starting, but are you a fan of the roller coaster or is it you? I, I am not. I get motion <laughs> sickness in a bathtub probably. <laughs> so. I, I try to stay away from them. Anything that spins or does that, I stay away from. What's funny is when I think about your role as a superintendent, talk about a roller coaster ride. And something that most people fear more than anything else is a position of leadership and of high accountability. You know, it's, it's one of those roles. It is truly a lightning rod in the community for both good and bad, but also a, a lightning rod of change and be yeah. a change agent. And I know you had shared earlier um, about some of the uh, case studies that are going on in Ohio. But before we jump in on that, you know, tell us about yourself. I know you have a really interesting background and how you ended up as superintendent. Yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy. So when I graduated in 1986 from Jackson Center High School and everybody from Jackson Center and my whole family worked at Airstream. It was just where you went. And Airstream is where the the silver bullet trailers made, you see them on commercials, the only place they're made. So you took a lot of pride in that. And I went there for about, I don't know, a year and a half or so. But then I got an opportunity to work for Honda of America. Mm. And I did that for 13 years. And what ended up having me walk away from Honda America was I started coaching baseball. Okay. And I started being around kids and, and, and showing how much of an impact you can have on them. So I walked into my first college classroom at 33. And ended up getting my degree and get into teaching. That's awesome. Now, it, it, Honda and Airstream, what were your roles there? How did so at, at Honda I, or at Airstream? I always say I got it was a crappy job because I had to put the toilets in. That's what <laughs> I tell everybody. That was that was my job there. And then at, at, at Honda, I had a lot of different roles. At first, when I went in, I was in the die casting area. So we would make the engine blocks and I'd have to knock the, the trim off of it and things. And I went all the way through assembly and ended up in, in a material service project when we went into it, installed line two and was part of writing operation standards for the new line and being part of that. And that's where I was when I, when I left. I mean, that's pretty cool. Cause I know your role as superintendent is also career prep, tech prep, yes. um, college prep. I mean, as a school district, you think about all of those pieces so that you have that direct experience. That's a huge win for those students, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and I, that has to be preached more in the nation. That it's okay to have a career there. You can make so much money and have zero college debt mm -hmm. if you want. There, there are businesses begging for kids right now 
We yeah. do half days sometimes. There are career centers who are doing a phenomenal job hooking them up. But you can go and be an apprentice electrician or plumber and come out and make as much money as you want. However hard you want to work, you can make that much money and have zero debt because they'll pay for your school. On the same side, there is a need for the college part, too. Yes. And, and for the kids that want to go to college, I really want them to go. But if they're undecided, I always tell them, I go, won't we get a job for a little bit? Because that will either tell you you need to go or tell you you don't need to go. Uh, but you got to do something. So we have something called the three E's okay. in our district. And so uh, we want the kids when they leave here either to be employed, enlisted, or enrolled. Oh, I like that. And so we want them to choose a path. And none of the paths are wrong. And and so that's how we kind of approach it to where they know it can be it can be done in any path you choose. Yeah, I think that's I like that employed, enlisted, or enrolled because yes. you're right; those are positive movements towards keeping you engaged in the community, getting you work, getting you growing you up to the next level. Because once you're 18, everything is not solid. You're not just an adult magically; it takes time. I mean, I feel like a little kid half the time and I've been around a long time, you know, (laughs) but I I like what you said about, you know, having those things because you can work just like you've done in your life and then go into a career in education with the college needed, obviously, and vice versa. You can go the other way and people do it all the time. And I think what everyone realizes is like, oh, this is harder. All of it's challenging, isn't it? Yeah. There's two different types of tired. There's physically tired and there's mentally tired. Yeah. And I've been both. (laughs) So when you're physically tired, you get off work and you put in a hard day's work, whether you're working in the foundry like I did when you're around heat and stuff. But when you get out, you clock out and you're done. Yeah. And you don't have to go back till the next morning. With education, your mind is is triggering as a superintendent. You got to make constant decisions all the time which in my role, I like to slow down a little bit. If I've got a day to make a decision, I like to have that to really process it. So you got to make quick decisions, but when you're done, sometimes you're just, you're done. But the decisions may come at nine o'clock at night too, or four o'clock in the morning. You just got to be able to turn that switch on when you can. That's true of the superintendents. I've I've gotten to know probably about a hundred of them now over the past six months, that, that ability to be present in the decision and surrounded by the people you need to make that decision. I mean, that's, that's really important, isn't it? Having those other leaders at your side to go, okay, let's get together. Let's figure this out. Oh, it's, I am reaping the benefit of a wonderful leadership team we have here. Mm. I am reaping the benefit of an incredible teaching staff we have here and support staff. It's caring. It has empathy, as we talked about earlier. Uh, our kids are cared for in our senior exit. That's their number one thing. They feel we were cared for here. Um, they know they're loved, uh, but having a leadership team like I have, we're able to sit down and each have a different opinion, but in the end, come up with the best decision for the kids. And I will tell any superintendent, they ask me, what do you do all day? Uh, about It's about 85 to 90% reactionary, and then the rest is planning. And you got to go at it. And, you, and when you go at it, if you're making your decision for kids, you're going the right way. That's true. That's a really, really good point about the leadership team and who you surround yourself with and how you care for them. Um, 
uh, there are surveys that come out all the time about how students feel and high school students feel when they graduate. And that, that connection and care point is usually the number one people, well, number one thing the students want. I don't want to say people, all people want it, but just that, that care and that connection. Yeah. What do you think you guys do that make that difference? What, tell me about that. I tell you, it's just, well, I myself, myself, I have a, a PAC committee, PAC, Pirate Advisory mm-hmm. Committee, where I grab a few kids from freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And once a month, we talk about leadership. I get their opinion on things we're trying to do. I feed them pizza, which is also <laughs> very important. But yes, our sure. kids, we not only, we feel, and everything that I do and our team does, we do for the benefit of the community too. you got to expand past your walls and not have a boundary. that You have to be welcoming to the community and also go out and provide support. I mm. feel our kids mm. and teachers have a servant's heart. Yeah. You have, we just last week had a family, uh, lose their house in a fire. Within oh, that wow. day, we had sizes, gift cards, called the resource officer, the guy across the street that runs the, and that same day, their vehicle broke down that they were getting their kids to school in. They fixed their car for free. That kind of giving and that kind of, I'll stick my hand out and help anybody is how this place goes. And the culture here, I, I've had people come in and they feel it. It's just a special place for kids, and it doesn't matter what you're into as a kid. I've talked about anywhere from anime to favorite NFL teams with kids. It's just meeting them where they're at is the key. That's another, like I said, excellent point, meeting the kids where they're at. And kids grow, and they change, and we as adults have to adapt to where they're at. That's different. Yes. And I know we change as a result of them. How how would you say the students have influenced you to grow as a leader and as a you know as a community member? I would tell you that they are my drive, they are my why every day. And I'll give you a good example. I've been doing this about twenty some years now. <laughs> I, I don't know really. It's like twenty one or something. Time like that. flies. Wow. But we were having an issue in our school. Uh, the other day where I didn't feel like I was the right person. They hear from us all the time. I yeah. said, we need an outside voice for our kids. So we set up assembly schedule and I called a kid that I coached my first year in Fairborn, Ohio, near Dayton. And he came and spoke to the kids and what he said up there. And this is my why he goes, I love it. He called me coach man because that's what he goes. Coach man treated us all the same. He had high expectations. But when he set those expectations, he, we knew he loved us. So when he calls me, I'm there. Mm-hmm. So to know that you had an impact that goes back 20 years for kids and you, I continuously get calls from alumni, will you be a reference? What's your advice on this? Them knowing they have you for life. It's not just the point in time that they're in there, but they have me for life. And I will always help any kid that I've ever coached or taught. I will help them in any way. Uh, that's just that is what it's about, isn't it? No matter what you do, loving the kids. And when everyone's focused on the kids, it makes a big difference. I, I met yesterday with the uh, University of Pikeville um, and their principal, Pike County uh, Central High, which is Eastern Kentucky. And we were talking exactly about that, which is when the focus is on the student, then then you win every single time. Like just... And and the win is the resources are put in the right place. The the training is put in the right place, right? And 
it, board meetings are focused on the right things, which are the students and, and the outcomes. Like the initiative to build buildings is incredible, correct? Like, but what are they there for? To get the students in, to educate them and have a great place for a fantastic experience. I, I will tell you, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but I think the perfect example of how we love our kids is from a TED talk I watched mm. from Rita Pearson. Okay. And it's called Everybody Needs a Champion. I didn't have that when I was a kid. I didn't have somebody that noticed I was going through things. Now we make sure we notice. We check in on our kids. We get other in- involvements. I mean, more people are coming to the school to serve now than ever more, ever, ever has. You know, other, other, other entities, you know, mental health stuff and everything, but just being a champion for every kid is our, is, is just what we go for. That's huge. Now your school, uh, you're obviously, let me rephrase that. As a superintendent, you're aware of the mental health focus of students and teachers and superintendents. I talk a lot about that in the other podcast too, is how do we take care of each segment, the population that comes together to do the same thing, educate each other. Right. And, do you guys have any special initiatives you're working on right now? And in yes. that area, I know you had mentioned some. Tell us about that. So we we are since the since COVID and the pandemic. I know I have some doctor friends that said mental health with children has tripled um, just Oof. in that time. So this year we just had a meeting recently where we have one guidance counselor that takes care of just meeting with kids, and we have one that kind of does the student services part of it. But she's seen 300 kids already just this year. In that capacity, and we have 610, I think, in the whole district. So it's there. So I've been thinking about that. We've had a a local counseling group come in one day a week for people that can can afford it or or get the the insurance to do it. But about a year ago, the Ohio Department of Education and Public Safety put out a grant for school clinics. And we applied for that and got about $638,000 to go towards it. So I met with a group here uh, called Community Health and Wellness. They're, they're like mm-hmm. doctor's offices in different communities around us. Well, yeah. the graph doesn't have a doctor's office. So once again, I'm planning for community and school. So we invested two more million of our dollars to build a clinic here. And when the clinic's done, it'll be attached to our main office Mm. and it will have an outside entrance for our community members to see the doctor within a three minute drive instead of driving 20 minutes. And our kids, when they have a sickness or mental health crisis, they walk to them. Oh, that's great. It's just right there. It's right there. So it's almost $3 million investment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look at it, and where we're going, that's another, you got to kind of adjust before the adjustments made for you, yeah. if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. So if you see a problem, you, you got to be a little forward thinking. Sometimes you're the tip of the spear on that, which yeah. I don't mind being. And people are going, oh, I don't know if we're ready for that. But then you have people visiting your school and ask how you did that. Right. Which is what we're doing with, with one of our case studies right now. But the mental health piece is huge for me. I don't know if you could come in and learn English and math if you're not in a good place yourself feel loved, oh, yeah. feel comfortable and able to share anything that's bothering you. So when this is finished in August, it's it's when it's supposed to be finished. We're going to have an on-site on-demand service for our kids. Oh, that that is absolutely terrific news for the community and the kind of march forward with what we need for our kids. And and like you said, the community can use it. Like, hey, 
this is open. This is for everybody to benefit from. Yes. Same project I did with the internet two years ago. Oh yeah. 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 So anything that could benefit the community we're going to do. It's just huge that way. You know, you, you made me think about, um, you know, the mental health awareness and the kids and the community members and, and how key that is. Are, are you seeing the, the same impact on the teachers that they're, they struggled through all this as well? Cause we're all kind of left on our own for a couple of years. Right. So the teachers are also, I, I, sh- I don't mean to diminish their work because they are important. We have also did stuff for them. So our oh, PDs good. have kind of shifted from, Hey, we're going to do a mapping exercise or we're going to do this to getting speakers in that are either comedic or teach them different things when it comes to being able to relax themselves and things like that. So uh, we're giving them tools on how to take care of themselves also. Uh, oh, and, and we'll have the opportunity to go to this place too. They, they have every opportunity to, to do anything they need there. We'll get them any help they need. That's good. I mean, the teachers need it. Um, I know that I had a, I think you and I were chatting too, I had a podcast with Mike Roberts um, and he was sharing about teachers in the zero to 10 year experience time frame and retaining them and practical things you could do at the state, local and school level. And it was just great to hear his passion for that, that yeah. like he, he's like, this is what I love to do. This is what I write about. There are stories to tell. I mean, you must have story after story of those kind of things. So to be honest, that's what I did my dissertation on. Mm. Uh, oh, that's right. Good. So, uh, but I approached it as that would benefit our rural schools because I wanted to take it from a rural school perspective, because if you're around a city school, it's easy to go somewhere else, probably make $10,000 more, yeah. you know, on the pay scale and stuff. So That's true. we did that research and we, I interviewed eight superintendents in about a 50 mile radius to just get their approach on. Uh, there's some schools that were struggling with retention, some that weren't mm-hmm. what's working for you. What's the key thing. And, uh, it just opened my eyes to a lot of things that we could start working on here to improve that we didn't have in place to meet those needs for the teachers. Uh, in a small school, you could come in and be the only algebra teacher. There's not a team of algebra teachers to work with. <laughs> that's very true. So that support system to get them into work with our local ESCs, to get people in to support them, start mm-hmm. doing cross-categorical stuff, to we increased our pay scale to we took the first four years and made that the first year. So they would be, have a higher pay scale to start. And then we, when they get in, we just wrap our arms around them and we give them all the support they need. And we're at a place where we, we meet with the teachers every year and say, what's your needs this year? Tell us. And you got to also, you got to see them. You got to recognize them. You can't just say, okay, go. Good luck. It used to be like that in teaching. Just go and survive if you can. You got to constantly check, stop in their room saying, Hey, I noticed this. Or just if you see one thing and just say, I saw the post the other day on Facebook. Wonderful exercise. And so, uh, that's, that's one thing. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, one of your teachers heard you. He was like, Hey, yeah. good job, Scott. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just, you just got to wrap your arms around them too. And if they feel valued. Yeah. That's the number one thing. 
you know, if we do it for the teachers and we do it for the children and, you know, the parents are right alongside the kids, obviously when as parents, when our children feel cared for that we'll do anything like we will give our time, our money, you know, our help. And I'm sure you have a huge volunteer crew of parents who are just amazing to help all this come together too, huh? Well, we have a lot of parent organizations like your athletic boosters, your band boosters. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like anything else, we we tend to rely on the ones we know will say yes, (laughs) just like you do with your teachers. Mm -hmm. We get people in, we get people to volunteer to read with our kids. Uh, I, I wish we had more and maybe that's our fault for not, not putting that out there because I'm sure we would get it. But yeah, any kind of mentoring, any kind of, that's my next thing. I want to provide outside mentors. We, we can preach to them all day, but if they meet someone that is saying, Hey, I've been there. I've done this. I'm not a teacher, but I do this. There's other ways. There's other pathways and stuff. I just think hearing another voice is important. Uh, that's a really good point. They have a, you know, I know I mentioned University of Pikeville and Pike County Central High School. They had a an etiquette dinner at University of Pikeville, which was about networking. The whole thing was like how to network, teaching the students who were in college how to network, you know, because again, they're still young, right? You de- and you're dealing with students that are younger and need that even more just to kind of build their confidence level to be able to go to the next step. You know, when you, in that, in those teenage years in high school, what are some of the things you're seeing now that have changed since you started as a superintendent? Obviously the pandemic had a big effect and we talk about that, but what else are you seeing that the kids need? So they're cared for um, obviously social media and all those things have a huge impact. What else are you seeing these days? And I'm going to piggyback on that and say the social the social media is 24 seven. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was in school, you got a break. You yeah. got to go if you if you struggled during the school day, you got a break when you went home. Uh, now it's it's you could get shamed with uh, if you share one picture, people can make the picture anything they want. Uh, technology has been the biggest blessing and curse for our generation of kids right now. They are so good at it and. You know, they're, they're not very good at one-on-one eye-to-eye conversations at this point. Mm-hmm. So we, we work on that. And I would like them to say, be very vigilant and, and get after those one-on-one conversations. I just heard a guy speak this last weekend and his whole thing was on hospitality. Yeah. And the hospitality is just how you get to know people, even people you don't know, sit down and have a meal with them. Right. Conversation. Just really get to know someone on a different level. And just try to do that. Just put the phones away for a second and have a real conversation. So having, I, I think that's a big lack of, or we're lacking that with our kids right now. And you feel like in a school day, you're packed in because you got to get to everything and everybody feels the pressure to get to everything. And sometimes we just need, we just had a group of, I'm running on, but we just had a group of 60 leaders in the, County come in and interview our kids, give them practice on interviews. Oh, nice. Simple stuff like that. Is yeah. But you're right. The practical things, teaching them and helping them. And so some of the kids don't even know what to ask. Like I'm helping my daughter who's a third year in college figure out, like get her first car, you know? And yeah, she's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of things I don't even know what to ask. Yeah. 
And it's true, especially, and I feel like that's the thing you're talking about is teaching the kids what just to ask, like even figure out like, hey, I don't even know what to ask next. Can you help me know what I should be asking? It's huge. It is. It really is. Those people on TikTok, they're not going to tell you what to ask. They're going to tell you what to think. And that's a whole different set of trouble. And I, I like what you said about the 24-hour cycle of shame and guilt that you can experience now. Because you're right. When you're fully plugged in all the time, you're drawn to it. You just are. Yes. You know, We as adults are drawn to it. Kids are drawn to it. It has an impact on all of us. And when our kids are impacted, it, it affects the parents and the community members tremendously. So think about this, and this is stuff that I think about, that education may have to look totally different in the next five years for this reason. Our kids' time of focus is now down to 30-second videos. If they're not interested, they move on. So we have have them set in 50-minute periods and want them to sit and get for that long without anything tied in. That could be a problem in retention across the board because the lack of focus you're used to seeing going on, seeing going on constantly. going. You can go to the next if you're not interested. And we want them to conjugate verbs and learn geometry for 50 minutes. It's just, I don't know if it's possible. We may have to find more frequent breaks Mm. or things to break up the monotony to keep them focused. That's a good point. You know, you're right because generations change based on what's around you and that, and you're right. It is different. Everything's on demand. Yes. Everything's you search for what you want. You find what you want, or it's all surrounding your interests and fed to you. And you're like, wow, I'm, I guess I am interested in this, even though I'm really not, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Put your phones on a table and talk about airlines for 10 minutes and then see how many ads on airlines. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> now, I drove by the star a Starbucks the other day and it was like, Hey, Starbucks in your area. I'm like, I know where it is. Like, I know. you don't have to remind me on my phone. Now I know one of the things you, you had mentioned Erland was this case study you guys had yeah. with Ohio state. Tell us about that. Like, how did this come about? What it, give us kind of the ramp up to it coming about? Like what, what happened? So to, to, to premise first, you need an amazing staff and you need amazing administrators. And we had that, but okay. then we needed the resources. Yeah. So when we were going, we were using a Scott Forsman, Forsman unit that was like from 1980 something with okay. our financial problems. And then when I, we finally got to a point where we got to look at something different. I know myself and the treasurer sat down with every grade group and said, how are you teaching reading? And what we found is they had went out and found so many resources on their own. There was no continuity through the grade levels. Everybody was working hard, teaching hard, but it wasn't the same way throughout all the grade levels. We said, we've got to change. We need our kids to be able to learn math the same way and reading the same way. So we started looking for a a new content. We ended up going with open court, but that's not fix all either. Right. Of course we got a, a, the K3 literacy grant through uh, the ST6, SST6 here, okay. state support team. Uh, and we got able to get letters and Haggerty, which are two reading, you know, kind of not programs, but philosophies. So how they kind of explain it is the best way I can do it. Like your open court is, is the fist of knowledge, but 
letters and stuff fiddles in between the knuckles and gives everything that you need. Mm-hmm. So then when we got that and we started implementing what the state was putting out about the science of reading at that time, we had a huge jump. We, and, and I've got the stats pulled up here from 2018 to 19. In 2018, our third graders scored 50% passing rate. In 2019, it was 91%. I was looking at that. That's just incredible. Now, understand it's been up and down since then. Right. But our scores are way up. And it's going to be, it was a good grade. Uh, It was phenomenal teachers doing what they learned. You know, if you have to sit through 10 classes of PD and you learn a new way, it's easy to shut down. Yes. But we had support. We had buy-in administrators there. The superintendent myself had to show that I was on board for this. If you don't, it does. It's just another thing. And teachers, teachers will say, "Oh, this will pass too. This is just something different we got to do." Right. Exactly. It's our new way, and it has been the new way. And continuing that has been our process of teachers change, making sure people are brought up to speed on how we do it here. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention Mr. Bryant, who retired from us this year. He was the principal doing this. We got Mr. Hodge, the new elementary principal. Okay. He's phenomenal. Um, and we they have just bought in, and we have Margo Ship, who worked for the SST6 and kind of worked with us, fell in love with our district and said, Hey, I'm retiring. I go, well, how about three days? <laughs> so as a small school, you got to make those things. We probably couldn't afford a full-time literacy coach, right. but I can get her for three days and she's an expert in the field of the training that we have. So you got to make those kind of decisions. And our, our kids have the same continuity through all the grades now. And it's just, it's made a huge difference in our building. Yeah. I love that you have a literacy coach. I mean, you've been a coach. I've been a coach and you know that the, the influence a coach can have on the performance. Your teachers are performing every day, right? You think about it like, hey, they get encouraged, excited, they get trained, and boom, they can go perform at much higher levels and of understanding with the kids too. It's just wonderful that you have that. I want to give you a stat. Two stories. One, our third grade teacher, you know you got a good staff when they tell the literacy coach, hey, will you co-teach with me for a while so I can really pick up this? Let them into your classroom and give up some of the control, Yeah, that's that's growth. And I will that's tell true. you a story, but we just told the board this this last time. We had a student move into our district in second grade this year, came in and was tested at six words per minute. Six okay. words. Okay. Wow. They're over 80 now. Wow. The kid can learn, but the process of caring, being part of a, a consistent message, the kid's up to 80-something. Now he's on track. I mean, that, that makes his confidence level skyrocket. So I called it confident learning, and that's how I got him on board. I like so that. So before, we actually put an intervention specialist in the lower grades, too, to start recognizing disabilities a little bit sooner. Because what happens is you go to first grade, and somebody falls behind. And then I call it dragging behind the wagon. Then they're still going on to second, yeah. but they're not with the learning group. And they, and they do all that. By the time they hit junior high, they're done. I can't read. I can't do this. And it will take a miracle to get them back around. But now we're recognizing earlier, we have interventions going into into every classroom in the elementary, and it catches it so much sooner that you just mentioned that the confident learners is what I want. That's just huge. And, you know, when you look at Hattie's scale and all those different scales that people have done longitudinal studies over years, teacher self-efficacy and student self-efficacy is where the – the magic really happens. It really is. 
And I think it's easy to, to forget and not celebrate the successes of the kids. Like, like reminding the kid, like, look at where you were, which would, no one likes to look back at where you, you were and when you improve, right? But it's important. And then look at how far you've come. You can do this. So each challenge they can be faced with is you have the capability to do it. Look what you've done. Yeah. So I'll give you a, a unique, and I got this from a colleague, but for my some of my principal evaluations this year, I go in and evaluate them while they're evaluating a teacher. And we go back and compare notes to see how close we are on our standards. But when I was in there, I was in a history class. I was a former history teacher. So oh, I was, okay. I was loving it. So they were doing a prepare, a jeopardy game to prepare for the test coming up. Okay. Oh yeah. And there was a young man in there that in my eyes, I would, I would never expect to be the person answering all the questions. You know, you see him, but he did. I went out two periods later, found him in food classes and I said, Hey, rock star. Hey, rock star. I saw you answering all those questions. You're my kind of people. History is my game. And you know, just little things like that. And he just like, you could tell his shoulders went back a little bit. You know, just let them know that, hey, I see you. I see you. Yeah. Having that confidence in the kids' grades. And I mean, with, with the study that you did, thinking about the confidence level. It, I mean, the parents must have been thrilled, too, to see that kind of change. I mean, you see it in your kids when they start to do things differently. I mean, that impact on the community must have been, been tremendous. Oh, absolutely. And our, our kids are more confident now. They know what to expect. But I think what they see now is we probably had four or five schools come in and want to visit our elementary for what we're doing. And mm-hmm. we have some more coming. They see other schools and say, wait a minute, they want to do what we do? Hey, our school at Riverside, they want to come see what we do. We're <laughs> special. So that, that's, sure. that pumps them up. Not only the, the students, but the teachers. Yeah. The teachers will love to say yes. We do, we do this and our, our kids know this. If we tell them this command, they know exactly what to do. There's, there's not as much prep to the lesson because they're already in tune to the process. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's such a good point is, you know, when you get attention for something you do well, it's, it just reinforces it. Like, Hey, we can keep doing this well because it is good to get positive feedback like that. Nope. I mean, how's that been for you to have the, the, districts come and talk to you and ask you about it and what have you learned from them in the midst of these kind of conversations and their visits so i think being a superintendent in a school district is just like coaching you steal from others that are successful <laughs> yes 100 <laughs> i have had colleagues along the way that i have said hey you do this right i'd like to do this but i think it's important that when people call you you lay the success where the foundation was laid yeah. Say, so I'd say, I'd say, I appreciate this. I, we love it. I love the people I have here. But for me to sit here and talk to you about this will do you a disservice. And I'm going to put you where the foundation, where the people laid block and they put this program together. They're the experts. I talked about that. When I worked at Honda, that was one of the things I got. Every person's job, they were called the expert at that job. Mm. So these people here are experts. That's who you go to talk to. I am like the, the media specialist. I just direct them to the person that's there. <laughs> it's true. You know who the experts are. Absolutely. And you, I mean, to put the resources where those experts are and where they need to be. You know, I, I think that's a, it's such a good point as well as when you talk about the experts is people want to be, feel knowledgeable and, and like resources to others. 
But at the same time, being an expert takes commitment to that specific area or that role that you're in. And not everyone does that, do they? No, the, the, like I'll give you an example. The other day, Columbus Dispatch reached out to me and wanted to do an article on the case study. Mm. And I said, hey, that's awesome. And usually I am the one for the media contact, but I'm going to put you in contact with my literacy specialist and my elementary principal because they're the boots on the ground and they'll be able to help you. And both of those guys got into the Columbus Dispatch. They got their names mentioned. Yeah. And they are mentioned as the expert. So I, I like I told you, first thing is I am the beneficiary of amazing people because yeah. they make or break you. Our staff here is, is incredible. I'm not just saying that because I've been here 14 years. I'm saying <laughs> it because I've seen others. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and when that comes in, you you don't be the superintendent goes, yes, that was my program and I did this. You got to get it to the people that actually did the work. The Steph Curry's of your team, right? I didn't want to say LeBron just because it's California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're right. I like the coach, the superintendent, like you said, who's that coach? You you got to make sure your players are fully supported, go to bat for them and, and know. Yeah, well fed, well rested. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really weird to say that, but you got to feed their, their passions. You, you know, nothing kills passion more than have somebody do the work and you take the credit. Oh, that is absolutely true. You know, when you, with the case study stuff, like what's next in that for you all? Are you going to continue the kind of studies? Like what does that do for you as far as inspiring you for the next steps of where you want to go with it? So where I think we're going with the next steps, and we also got a literacy grant recently uh, mm. for our high school. And our principal, Kelly Kaufman, and our, our literacy person through that grant, Danielle Turner, they just got back from a literacy uh, conference on this and they came back and go, our case study was on the screen up there. And they were all excited. I go, <laughs> and it, so my directive to them is we're next. The junior high and high school are next. We need that program. And so they started a Google doc this morning of what they're going to need, how they're going to get more accountability and buy-in. And it, you just hope it's like just a slow, steady wave that you see yeah, as it goes up completely through the building to where you catch up with all those, uh, the dragon behind the wagon, non-confident learners. And we got to get interventions into our junior high. We're going to focus there first and really get those kids. Junior high is the hardest transition for any kid. That's true. I mean, you could walk into a junior high lunchroom and somebody will be six foot already and somebody's still four four. (laughs) And you just, it's the hardest transition for a kid. And if they don't have confidence in what they look like and learning, you're losing a lot in a year because they're not going to focus on grammar or anything like that. Oh, then they just carry it with them into high school, don't they? And they just have that shame, guilt, all the the feelings that we don't want anyone to suffer with. Everybody carries a tool belt with them all the time. It's what you carry in that tool belt. Yeah. And if it's tools for success, you're getting after it. You're getting after it. I love you talking about the middle school. I mean, that's huge. Middle schoolers are so important. We used to do a promise program. We used to call it University Promise. Like I mentioned, for the Cal States at Salinas, we'd have 5,000 sixth graders come through from the whole county. We'd show them around, get them excited, and be like, hey, this is for you. Like, Don't forget that you have this option in front of you if you want it. And we're here for you. And that, and it was fun. And, you know, I was, so my daughter went off to science camp, I think it was sixth grade. And I, I went to the camp and I was like, oh, and there were the kids from one of the schools who came to visit, like, hey, we know you. And I was like, you know, it, 
And why that mattered to me is that they remembered being in that place. Yep. And having that experience. And I did remember them. I'm like, I remember your school and your principal. And it just made it so much more fun and community oriented that, and just to see them bright eyed. And that sixth grade time is awesome. I love sixth graders. Fantastic grade. Yeah. It's, uh, I I think it's, I used, when I taught, I taught eighth grade and 10th grade U.S. history. Okay. Loved it. But you would never see so much of a change from the time you had them in eighth grade to the (laughs) 10th grade. It's just a huge change. They're different people. That's true. And that little, that tells you how much they change just in that time. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's you step important. back. Everyone's, everyone, like university stuff, I would say everyone stays the same age and I just keep getting older because everyone yeah. would come through and out. Now you, we, we can finish up. We'll finish up in just a minute, but I was thinking this is, so you've been there 14 years. Yes. And so you've seen really the kids go from kindergarten all the way through to graduation. Yeah. So you're kind of on your third, first, third full cycle of this, aren't you? Yes. Wow. That's it's, tremendous. That's an incredible gift. Yeah. Don't, let's not take that the, any other way than I can remember saying this is the first class that I've watched you walk in and, kindergarten <laughs> and watching you walk away as adults. And to see them grow and to watch the different personalities develop. The friend groups change, the interests change, and just watch them become the person and the individual they are is a gift. And I I cherish that. It's an amazing gift. I mean, I, I think there's a great way to end things up. Just the gift of the, of the kids there, the parents who trust us with their children, the community that trusts us as educators and, and just knowing how much of an impact that, education has on someone's life. And that's the whole point is, is to raise amazing people to do amazing things with for the, whatever they choose to do that they, they enjoy it and they just have an amazing life. Give them the opportunity to fail without failing. Yeah. So with my leadership and with kids, I take a bowling alley approach. If you've ever seen the, the, the rails that they put up on the side for younger yeah. kids. Yeah. The bumper leadership yeah. team, we all have goals, but how you get there can be different. Yeah. You can do anything you want within those rail. I won't let you fall in the gutter. I'll make sure you're successful, but you may have a different way than me to get to the goal. I like that. Hey, Scott, thank you so much for your time. What a pleasure. Absolutely. I enjoyed this tremendously. I'm glad you did. You'll have definitely have to do it again. This was a lot I would of love fun. It. Just let me know anytime. You got it. Thank you again. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining the Plexus High School Leadership Podcast Series. If you'd like more information on this podcast or Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.